Hello, and welcome to Breast Cancer Conversations, a podcast brought to you by survivingbreastcancer.org. I'm Laura Carfing, breast cancer survivor and founder of survivingbreastcancer.org, a nonprofit organization providing community, education, and resources to empower those diagnosed with breast cancer and their caregivers from day one and beyond. Hello, hello, my friends. I am so happy you are joining us for another episode of Breast Cancer Conversations. Today's episode is one that has been a long time in the making, actually. It's going to be one of a series that we're doing, which is focusing on how to talk to our kids and loved ones about grief, death, and end of life. This episode is part of our Every Other Sunday NBC webinar series, hosted by myself and Abigail Johnston, where we bring on guests to talk about pertinent topics specific to the NBC community. Today, I am pleased because we are joined with Margie Gribben. Margie specializes in grief, bereavement, and life transitions. She works with individuals, couples, and families. So she is the perfect person to help us understand the various developmental stages of children and how we can have these meaningful conversations with them about our cancer diagnosis, what it means to have a terminal disease, and live with metastatic breast cancer. Grief is all the feelings that come after someone we love dies. Welcome to the conversation. So how can we support children in their emotional needs? We need to assure the children that their physical, mental, emotional, and spiritual needs will be met. Someone to explain things and or answer their questions honestly. In my journey with um, bereaved children at the center where I worked, there was a young boy whose um, father had uh, died of a heart attack, a sudden heart attack. And the mom had decided they didn't think that he could handle understanding that the father had a heart attack. And so they said, well... He got really sick and his heart just stopped, but we don't know why. It may have been because he was really sick. So words have power with children. And this young boy actually came back to start working at the center. And he said, that was the worst thing they could have done because they lied to me and it broke my trust with them in that I could have, if, if they had told me it would have been okay, but they chose to do, try to be real soft instead of telling the truth. Well, he had a heart attack. It's where the heart stops. So he said he had to reprocess that loss. He came back to work at the center. He said, Margie, I didn't know why I returned, but I knew I really liked the energy here. And I also found for myself in being a facilitator here that I hadn't processed my distress that I wasn't told properly. So yeah, Speaking the truth, telling the truth. And if we don't know, if we don't have the answer, kids don't expect us to have all the answers. We can say, I don't really know. What do you think about that? 
let them share their insights. So we want to communicate in age-appropriate ways from the beginning when discussions are initiated, and they should continue throughout about an incurable illness. For example, I have a disease called uh, called cancer, and I love uh, Art Linklater. He had a show with children, say the funniest things. They also are very knowledgeable in their way of explaining things. An eight-year-old described it this way as cancer. Cancer is when bad cells take over your body and it makes you tired, you get thin, and somebody has to take care of you. I mean, this is an eight-year-old's terminology, right? So I think it's, it's really important that we be thoughtful in that way. Uh, there's a book that I think is a go-to. It's Alan Wofelt. He's had 30 years. He's a, an author, lecturer, therapist. Um, and I'm going to share with you an example, a couple of examples. This is for uh, ages 6 to 11. When the child says, is he going to die? Don't say, no, he's going to get better. I just know it. We have faith. Say, instead, we don't know the answer to that. He has terminal cancer, and terminal means the doctors don't have a cure for it. But sometimes people who have terminal illness live longer than expected, sometimes months and maybe even years. The doctors are doing everything they can to make that happen for dad. I will tell you when I know more about this situation. There's another one. When they say, I'm scared, don't say, don't be scared. It's going to be okay. Say, sometimes I get scared too. Can we take a walk around the block and talk about it? Or... You know, it's really normal for kids to feel scared when someone they love is dying or ill. Sometimes it helps to talk with other kids in the same situation. Would you like to go to a group so that you can talk about it? And this is for a teenager. I just got to get out of here. Don't expect me home tonight. I'm going to Zach's house. Don't say You need to stick around. We have to be here for each other. Instead, say, it sounds like you need a break. I can respect that. But please make good choices. You seem really upset right now. And I don't want you to react and do something unsafe. Check in with me later, okay? So you can hear the difference. I also want to recognize Abigail and her sharing with me this wonderful resource. It's called the Bright Spot Network. Uh, They have Bright Reads, which is uh, little books to help kids with big emotions. And uh, it provides free age-appropriate books about dealing with emotions, cancer, illness, grief, loss. Uh, to the children of parents going through cancer. They also have a lot more resources as well, uh, financial support and the like. 
Again, so helpful and informative, and I'll be sure to post links to all of these amazing resources in the show notes below and with our community members. I know you continue to do amazing research and you know, look into the most nascent trends and information out there. Can you tell me what you found with regards to women, moms living with metastatic disease and some of the trends that you're finding and how they're delivering this information to their kids? Their approaches to discussing the prognosis included total honesty, using the language of the chronic illness, gradual disclosure, waiting for questions, and emphasizing hope, love, and reassurance. So anchoring in the child in an understanding that no matter what happens to my loved one, There are going to be people in my circle that will look after me. So the conclusion was further evidence of the complexity and challenges of parental communication with their children about metastatic cancer and a need for both clinicians and researchers to identify, test, and implement evidence-based strategies assisting ill parents with their communication concerns. So children need support in their daily routines. They need to feel safe. They need to know that life is orderly and predictable. And we need to surround them with nurturing friends and family. It's important and valuable to maintain normal schedules and routines, the things that they do on a daily basis. Um, And the woman who wrote this book has been a a volunteer. She's a clinician and she's worked with grieving children a long time. And she said, truly, if we give children choices, for example, I remember I'm working with a young man who um, was exhausted. Uh, Grief takes a lot of emotional energy. And he was exhausted. He loves his baseball, but he said, I am just too tired. And he said, well, why is it that you aren't talking to your mom and dad about not wanting to go? No, they'll get angry. They'll say, I have to go, that I signed up for it. And they said, but I'm wondering if you tell them that you're really tired because you had two tests at school today. I like to empower children to do their own bidding rather than me take the responsibility. If you tell them, do you think they'll change? Well, I don't know. I said, you want to give it a try? So sure enough, we come in the end of the session. Actually, the father was very supportive and said, well, if I had known. So again, it's knowing what our children, many of us do know our children and do understand where they are, but it's important to keep tabs on a daily basis of where they might be physically and emotionally. When families are experiencing illness, it's common for children to have increased behavior problems, parents to reduce normal discipline practices, and to feel children should be given some slack about rules. I'm Pointing this out in the years that I've worked with children, understanding that they want the security 
of a regular knowledge of this was not appropriate to do. They don't want to get away with things. And one of the things I also say, say, which I've seen a lot, is it seems some parents are discomforted that children will not be able to handle their grief. I disagree. I think children are capable and competent of doing that. I also know that parents and other members in a family can model behaviors of being uncomfortable. And I use the example of someone who's continually bringing really big gifts on a regular basis as a means of kind of moving away from this child is grieving. We can grieve and we can grieve well as children. I I really think that we're setting up good humans, good adults, nurturing support, supporting our children, find ways to give extra physical attention, brushing the hair, wrestling on the floor, sharing a foot massage, um, make a date with each child to do something both of you enjoy. And it doesn't have to be going to a particular place. It could be taking a walk or a bike ride, going for a drive in the car. It's amazing how just having the grandchildren in the car, I'd be really quiet. And all of a sudden, these wonderful conversations would come up. We don't want to ignore the topic of the loved one's threatening illness, but we don't want to spend all our time talking about that either. In other words, children need to have that space where they can talk about whatever it is they they wish to talk about. I cared years ago, a woman who whose husband was killed in the Iraq war and she had a little baby and um, she would say, you know, I'm grieving. And the, the, the thing that's really distressing me is he keeps looking at the door and putting his hand out to the door. And I said, well, what do you think that means? She said, I don't know. I said, how did your husband come home? Did he go through the back door? No, he came in the front door. Was it a regular thing that he did? Yeah. And he would come through the door and I would be there with the baby and he'd always come and pick up the baby and hold the baby. So this was the child letting mom know, right? Age five to eight, they're concrete thinkers, but they have a tendency for magical thinking. They see death as reversible. And this is the big thing for this, these uh, five to eight-year-olds. They can feel responsible and worry that their wishes or thoughts may have caused the person to die. Um, Say a child gets angry and yells and then the person dies. They're going to carry that. They're very sensitive in this age range. So they continue asking the same questions um, and they have concerns about, well, who's going to take care of me? They may be strong and acting as nothing has happened. And then they go to having nightmares and high, low energy, kicking and hitting. So um, give choices to this age range. 
eight to 12 years, they're beginning to understand the abstract ideas of death and grief. And they know it's permanent. Start thinking about how the loss will affect them over the long term. And they may get caught up on what happened to the body of the person who died. Be a good listener, not giving advice unless they ask for it. And don't analyze their experience because it's their experience. They're trying for you to understand them. And if there are some uh, concerns about self-harm or suicidal thoughts, of course, you want to get professional help. What about the teenage years? This age range is different. This is where children are beginning to separate from the identity as the nuclear family. Uh, They're getting their own personalities. They have a difference, uh, changes in their personalities. And they start really relying on their peers and family for support. They understand the permanency of death, and they might delve into questions about the meaning of life, death, and other traumatic events. Um, They may withdraw from the family or use other support networks, boys club, girls club. For parents to understand that, that, oh, they're pulling away from us. No, they're, they're, they're finding their journey. They're finding their way. So assist teens to uh, connect with their, encourage the support systems, the family, friends, teachers, coaches, have patience with them in their reactions and questions and allow them to express their feelings without trying to fix them or take them away. I really appreciate you breaking down the developmental phases and tying that to the the cognition, right? What can the child understand? And it's going to evolve and be different for everybody. So this has been wonderful to have some of these rubrics in place. So we understand the behaviors of the ones we love when we're delivering challenging pieces of information, um, especially as it relates to a terminal diagnosis. It has been wonderful having you on the podcast. This is one of many series that we're doing with regards to how to support our children and adult children who have lost a mother to metastatic breast cancer. So thank you again for being on today's episode, and we look forward to a few more in the series coming out over the next couple of weeks. So thank you so much. Thank you for tuning in and listening to our podcast. If you would like to find out more about our organization and upcoming events and ways to connect, you can find out more by visiting our website at survivingbreastcancer.org. I would like to acknowledge that all of the information on our podcast is from personal experiences and it is not a substitute for professional medical advice. You should always consult your medical care team. If you're looking for specific topics or would like to be a guest on our show, feel free to contact me directly at laura at survivingbreastcancer.org. And of course, we have a couple social media handles you can follow us at as well. For example, survivingbreastcancer.org, all one word, as well as our podcast specifically, Breast Cancer Conversations. Until next time, keep on thriving.